Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 113, Revelation, the dwelling place of God. And in this episode, I would like us to look at the first four verses of Revelation chapter 21. And we are, as I have been saying the last several weeks, nearing the end of the book. In fact, Revelation 21 and 22 are the culmination of virtually every theme that has ever surfaced from page one of the Bible all the way to this point. And so these last two chapters do in fact provide a fitting conclusion to the entire biblical narrative and many of the images and themes that surface here, as I just mentioned, we have looked at in much detail throughout the course of this podcast. And so we are only going to get four verses in and we're going to do something a little different this time, but I am not sure how many episodes it's going to take to get us through these last several, but I promise to keep them relatively short. I think you'll be encouraged by what is is shown here and then we'll just learn together. So let's jump right in. To begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, What I would like to do in this episode is really to just focus in on one main point, and that is the several times you heard the phrase, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. But why I want to bring this to your attention here is to take us all the way back to some of the discussion we had at the very beginning of this podcast, looking at the temple and the temple imagery that surfaces right there in the Garden of Eden from Genesis chapter 2. And if you go back to episode, I believe it is um, um, 9, maybe 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, I, I spent several episodes talking about the idea of the temple. But what I want to draw our attention to here specifically in Revelation is what shows up in verse 2, and it is that I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now here John picks about three images and he kind of brings them together. He's got a holy city, which he calls New Jerusalem. And then he says that this city is coming down out of heaven, but it is prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we kind of have this image of a woman city. And we've looked at this several times in Revelation already, that this is a description of the people of God and um, referred to as a bride, referred to as a building, referred to as a temple, referred to as a city, you name it. But what's really interesting about verse 2 
is that the direction that this um, city woman is going is not up. It's down. And this, for at least most of my life, has been rather um, backwards in my own understanding and in my own mind. In fact, most of my life I have assumed that the direction that life is going to be taking us at the end of all things is going to be an upward direction. We are going to leave this place and we are going to go up to heaven. But that is actually not what Revelation 21.2 says is going to happen. And the reason why it's important to bring this up is because what follows these verses, which again, as I said in the introduction, is the remainder of not only the book of Revelation, but of the entire Bible, and it's a description of what the end will be. And it's interesting to note that that end is taking place here. It's not us leaving, it's the heaven and reality coming down. And so several months ago, actually, it was, it was in May, shortly after the pandemic began, our church had ceased having services together, and um, I was going ahead and, and basically um, talking into my phone like I do on these podcasts and recording episodes, and I, I recorded one where we looked at a passage in John chapter 14, and I had been ruminating, I guess, about some of these ideas. These themes are always sort of in the back of my mind, and I never quite know when they're going to come fully to fruition and when all the the synapses and the light bulbs are going to go off at just the right time. And uh, one particular um, time in preparing a message, it, it kind of clicked, and it, it clicked for me in a way that was new. It was It was looking at a passage of Scripture that I've read most of my life, and taking this idea of the presence of God dwelling with his people and, and, and coming down from heaven to earth, not so much from earth up to heaven, um, taking that idea, and, and that's one, again, many of you may be familiar, but I, I picked this up years ago from N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright speaks a lot about this, and so this is definitely not new to me, or, or in other words, it might be new to me, I'm, it's not unique to me. I, I'm not the one coming up with this. I'm just thinking out loud with you as we work our way through this podcast. But I had preached a sermon from um, from the Gospel of John. It was John um, thirteen thirty three through um, through chapter fourteen verse eleven. And what I would like to do is, I I, I guess it was a sermon more or less, but I, it was it was just more of like a little playful conversation that I that I had that I went ahead and recorded and sent out to our members. And so this won't necessarily sound like a sermon, but as I went back and, and looked over my, my thoughts and what I had said there, I thought this really will help pave the way for what we're going to see throughout the rest of Revelation. In fact, I, I reference the, the handful of verses that I just read here from Revelation 21 in that, in that little message. And so what I want to do is I want to go ahead and read for you the passage from John that I had read to our church um, during our, our service and then encourage them to go on and, and listen to the message that I sent out. And after I do, I'm just going to um, share that here. It's about 25 minutes. Um, I, I do reference several members of our church during the service. I reference a, a boy named Prescott and another boy named Eddie. They're brothers, they're in their single digits in our church, and their father, Chris, who I, I also talk about. So I know I'm speaking pretty personally to my church members, but just so that you're not lost when you listen in. 
But allow me just to read John 13, 33 through John 14, 11. And the, the, the themes that I want you to listen into is Jesus's um, dis- discussion of his father's house. And um, again, when we get into ideas of dwelling place of God and God dwelling with people, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the word used for tabernacle from the Old Testament. And when it says in John chapter one, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, it's the same idea. G- Jesus, they're becoming the presence of God with us and for us. And then the church ultimately being called the tabernacle, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as we bring a few of those themes in together, here's the passage that I referenced, and then I'll let you listen in on my thoughts. Little children, this is Jesus speaking, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also." and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Now, if you are able to hold that passage, as well as Revelation 21, 1-4, in your mind, I'd like to offer you some thoughts that I had several months ago that I think will help us get a handle on what God, what the dwelling place of God actually refers to. When you hear the words, in my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, what comes into your mind? You know, I'm always fascinated by the number of people there are in our churches and how we all have fairly active imaginations, some of us maybe more than others. But what comes into your mind when you hear verse 2 of John 14? Let me tell you a little bit about what used to come into my mind. 
I actually had a very active imagination as a child, and I still remember some of the images that popped into my mind the first time I ever heard this passage. Uh, When I was about eight, I remember where I was in our church, actually, at the time that I heard this happen, and it was in a Bible study of some sort or in a fellowship hall area. And so when I heard the idea of, I go to prepare a place for you, for some reason, I pictured Jesus was up in heaven with God, and he was in a massive, massive room with tile uh, floor on it and thousands and thousands and thousands of folding chairs. And so what Jesus meant by go prepare a place was he was going to set up a place for all of us to sit with him in this huge fellowship hall, which was going to be heaven. And the fact is, there's thousands and millions and millions of people who are going to be there, and it's going to take him a while to set up all these folding chairs. So um, that's why he hasn't come back. But when he does, you know, it's going to be completed. Or as I grew older, I I remember focusing in less on the prepare a place, and I focused in a little bit on, you know, in my father's house are many rooms. And I thought, oh, okay. So heaven actually is going to be something more like a hotel. There's there's going to be individual rooms. He's going to have one set up just for me. And and maybe the reason why I thought that is for some of the reasons that, that in our own lives, we have special places, special rooms even, that mean a lot to us. Um, places that, that we can relate to, um, you know, that when we're there, we feel safe, we feel at rest. Uh, some people might call it their happy place. You know, it is just a space where they go and they feel comfortable. They feel at home. And, you know, Pr- Prescott told me one time that for him, that place is his bedroom while he is sitting on his bed. And so it is where he feels the most comfortable and most at home. You know, others of you may have a craft room or one corner of the couch where you curl up with a blanket and a good book. Or some of you, it's not necessarily a room. It's while you're on a walk outside, either through your neighborhood or through the woods. For others of you, it's when you're gardening or when you're planting flowers. Still others enjoy a nice glass of wine while listening to beautiful music in the background and just resting and relaxing at the end of a long day. We oftentimes have a place, sometimes it's a room, that we believe is a place where we really feel at home. We really feel ourselves. We really can relax and let our guards down. And I wonder sometimes if we don't, um, you know, subconsciously, but sort of project those ideas into what we think life with God will be like at the end of all things. In fact, we wouldn't be stretching too far to point out that in the early 90s, there was a Christian band called Audio Adrenaline, and they came out with a song called Big House. And 1993 was the beginning of my freshman year of high school, so I'm sure this was a popular song during my high school days, but this continued to form maybe my imagination of what I thought life with God would be like, but the chorus of their song, Big House, which was the name of this particular one, was coming right from our passage in John 14. And here's what their lyrics said. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's my father's house. Now, that song and my imagination of a of a hotel or of a giant room with you know chairs set up 
all of these views kind of have the idea that to go be with God is kind of an, an escape from what we have here. Um, the, you know, the, the initial idea of he's going to set up a place, he's going to take me up there to be with him. You know, sometimes people tend to view life spent with God as we're going to leave this place and all of the trouble that's here and we're just going to go somewhere better. Um, or or the, the audio adrenaline song sometimes says, well, you know, there are a few things that we have here on the earth that are worth taking, things like food and football. And that's kind of a funny song. And yet it's sort of strange in a way because they're, they're basically taking certain elements that they hope are valuable here and kind of projecting them onto what we imagine heaven will be like or time spent in our Father's house as it's oftentimes imagined to be. And so I'm really interested to approach a passage like the one we're looking at here, and I like to begin by asking you what comes to your mind when you hear these words. Because I think it's always important for us to remember that when John is writing or when any of the gospel writers or the Bible authors are writing things down, we want to first ask, what did they mean? What did Jesus mean by his words? And I find it real interesting that in verse 2 of John 14, Jesus uses the words, in my father's house are many rooms. And for whatever reason... My imagination may be yours, but at least my own, and I, and I talked to Jessica about this week, and her imagination had something similar in mind. For whatever reason, we tend to think that my father's house means heaven, and we tend to think that this is a place we're going to go after we die. Now, we'll get to that in just a second, but, but I want to start with the words we see in John 14 too, because it would help us to understand some things about what Jesus is talking about. So I'm not sure if you remember, but when Jesus was first born, or I'm not sorry, not when he was first born, but in that narrative where he's described as, as being born in Luke chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is 12 years old and his parents take him along with his family members to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And when his family um, leaves Jerusalem and heads back home, they actually think Jesus is among their group, but they leave him behind. I mean, parents, what would you be thinking in your own minds if you realized after a day's journey that you had left one of your children in the town where you just were? And kids, what would be going through your mind if mom or dad picked up all the luggage and all the rest of the group and left and left you behind? Like, I mean, this is a, an interesting uh, thing to put yourself into this situation. Well, his parents come back and they said, they said to him, son, why have you treated us so? They, they find him in the temple. He's teaching and listening to the leaders in the temple and he's asking them questions. And his parents look at him finally after finding him and say, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus looked back at him and he said, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Well, now that's a strange word choice for Jesus to use. As a 12-year-old, he says, my father's house. And yet that passage right there tells us that Jesus is in the temple. So the temple, the place where God meets with his people in worship, is what Jesus calls my father's house. In fact, in John chapter 2, the book we're looking at in John 14, but in John chapter 2, Jesus comes into the temple and he tells the religious leaders who are there, 
who are selling and making money in the temple. And Jesus says to them in John chapter 2, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And so what Jesus is actually pointing out when he uses the words my father's house is he's talking about the temple. He's talking about the place where from a from a follower of God all the way through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, the temple was the place where God met with his people. It was believed by many of the peoples of those times to be the very place where heaven met the earth. And that's a lot of times why temples were built on the tops of really high mountains because people felt like if we're on this really high mountain in this temple, we're really actually close to the heavens. Maybe God will come down and meet with us here. But what's interesting about the discussion that Jesus is about to get in with his disciples is he's trying to explain to them the sort of reality that exists where God dwells. And his disciples are, are bothered by what Jesus is saying um, in the end of chapter 13, actually, when Jesus says he's getting ready to leave, where he is going, his disciples cannot follow. And they say, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And then Peter says to him, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Peter is really discouraged because Jesus says, no, actually, Peter, you're not going to lay your life down for me. What you're going to do is before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And what's frustrating to the disciples and what they don't seem to understand is that they're interested in wondering what they need to do. What is the direction? They're thinking about the way that you and I are going to get to God. They're thinking about the way that they're, what actions are they supposed to take? What priorities are they supposed to put in place? How is it that people who are here on the earth are going to get to God? And yet the trouble with that discussion is that even when you recognize that my father's house means the temple, the temple was never the place where the people were going to get to God. The temple was always the place where God chose to come down so that he could be with his people. And what Jesus is addressing here is he really wants us to shift in our imaginations, in our minds, this one-way direction that we almost all the time think about. We're here on earth, and one day he's going to take us up to be with him in heaven. Jesus is about to address something with his disciples where this is not so much thinking about the way we are going to live with God. Jesus wants us to understand that the real issue is the way God is going to live with us. And so Paul, or I'm, I'm sorry, so then Stephen or, or Philip gets involved in the discussion and Thomas says to him, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way. He says that where I am, you may be also. Jesus doesn't say to his disciples, I'm going away, that where I will be, there you will be also. Jesus says that where I am, you may be also. And so you and I might want to ask ourselves, we want to, might want to ask each other, where is Jesus while he's talking to his disciples? He, he speaks about where he is in the present. 
Where I am, there you may be also. And what does Jesus say about where he is? He says twice, once in verse 10 and once in verse 11, I am in my Father and the Father is in me. That's where Jesus is. The reason why he's so shocked at Philip who says, okay, then just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus says, have you been with me this whole time, Philip, and you don't yet know me? You don't yet see me as the one who has come from the Father to be with you. You don't see the Father's face when you look at me. You don't recognize that the Father, this the, the God who dwells in the heavens, who you think you need to get to, you don't understand that that God has already come to you in me. And the disciples, along with us sometimes, aren't exactly sure we know what Jesus is talking about. Because we imagine that we're just going to be whisked away and removed. We're looking for our special place, the place where we feel at home. And yet here's a passage at the end of John 14. We didn't read it this morning, but allow me to read it to you. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now there's a word used in John 14 too, where it says in my father's house are many rooms and the word for rooms is a, is a Greek word that just means a dwelling place, somewhere where you abide, where you rest, where you feel at home. That same word is only used one other time in the rest of the New Testament. And it's the verse that I just read for you, which says, the Father and I will come to him and make our home with him. You see, what Jesus is attempting to explain to his disciples is that the temple, the place where God dwells with his people, God has decided already to come to his people and he was with his people in the person of Jesus. We are interested in knowing how we're going to get to God. And so Peter says, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. Wherever you can go, I know I can follow. And Jesus looks back at him and he says, you are going to lay down your life for me? Peter, did you forget what I taught you about the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Something needs to happen, Peter, that you can't make happen. And when he says to Peter, you cannot follow me now, but afterward you will follow I wonder also what comes into your mind when you hear the word cannot. Most times when we hear the word, you cannot do that, we almost hear it as you are not allowed to do that. But maybe the word cannot means you are not able to do that. And the picture I have in my mind this week is I'm thinking about Chris um, Whitford is home with his family. He's doing some work on his computer and he's got a spreadsheet up with a lot of financial numbers and he's making connections and things. And Eddie comes up to, to his dad and says, dad, can I help you? And I think Chris would say, no, I'm sorry, buddy, you can't. 
Now, Eddie might hear his dad say, you're not allowed. I don't want you to spend time with me here. This is not something for you. But that's not what Chris means at all. What Chris means is this is such a complicated procedure. This is not something that Eddie is going to be able to do. That, I think, is the image more clearly in the mind when Jesus says to Peter, you cannot follow me now. Jesus is not talking to his disciples about him going up to heaven. He's talking to his disciples in this passage about him going to the cross. Where I am going, you cannot follow. And in fact, the disciples don't follow. Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. He won't even be associated with Jesus. And that's precisely what's happening. We used to dwell with God perfectly in the garden. And then we chose our own way and we lost it all. Jesus has come in order to bring us back to intimate relationship with the Father. And he has brought us into a place where we will be able to dwell with him forever Now, I mentioned at the very beginning of this message that many of us have a room or have a place that's important to us, where we feel safe, where we feel at home, and where we want to be. Did you know that God also has a place where he feels at home and where he wants to be? Listen to what Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is such a different picture than we oftentimes have, but where God wants to be is with and among his people. We oftentimes think of it in a one-directional way. How are we going to get to God? And even as Christians, we tend to think, well, it's still one-directional, but it's not something I can do. It's rather I need to trust in Jesus. But what we are trusting in Jesus for is being the one who brings God to us. And so in our epistle reading from 1 Peter, listen to the way Peter describes this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So the dwelling where God wants to be, where God's special place is, is in and among his people. And so as a follower of Jesus, as someone who has the presence of God living and dwelling in us, we believe in Jesus that God has come to us, that God has laid down his life for us, that God has knocked down all the barriers that keep us from living in perfect community with him and with each other. And he tells us the special place I love to live is in the hearts of my people when they are gathered together. This, I think, is why the coronavirus pandemic has proven to be such a difficulty in the lives of so many people because we're actually told that we can't be together. And it's important for us to realize that we now become the place where God wants to dwell, where God wants to live. 
And he's able to promise his followers that I will never leave you or forsake you. Even at the final book of the Bible, in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, God says that, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God You know, it's important for us to realize that what makes God excited is to be able to live among and in the hearts of his people in the same way that Jesus could say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus also will say in John chapter 14, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. We're going to talk next Sunday and in the the way the lectionary has set this up about what it means to be so connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit that he can speak about us as being the place where God lives. It's our union with Jesus. It's us abiding in him and being so connected to him. We're not interested in escaping anything or leaving behind all of the terrible things. What we're interested in is wanting God's presence to be felt with us more and more right now. And so when you or I have a special place and that place isn't shared with our friends or our special place is in a treehouse, or our special place is on a long walk in the park, or our special place is sitting on a couch with, with a good book, and a good friend of ours doesn't like our place. He doesn't like the space where we do. How do we respond to that? We would want to invite them in. We would want my, our place to be special to someone else, and that's exactly what God feels He wants the place that's special to him to be as special to us as it is to him. And that's what he's asking of for for his people. He wants us to experience what it's like to know that he is with us and that he is for us. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father and we will come with him and make our home with him. Not him with us, us with him. That's the hope that we have now. That's the hope that every one of you can experience right now if you've trusted in Jesus. And that is a hopeful message for our world because God wants us to play an active part with him in bringing as many people as we can to him. There's plenty of room for everyone. This isn't a place like it was in John 2 where we are interested in excluding those that we think God would never want to dwell with. No, actually, God wants to dwell with everyone. And therefore, he's asking us to partner with him to both find our own special place with him and then to invite other people to experience that with us. Amen.